Well, I want to say a good morning to all of you and especially those at our Mill Creek campus who are watching today at, uh, up north, to those who are watching online. We're glad to have you, those who will be watching by TV. One church in two locations, our Mill Creek campus is about 20 miles north. I want you to attend the campus as closest to you. And, of course, to all of our dads who are here, very happy Father's Day to all of you dads. We thank the Lord for you. Well, when I was growing up, occasionally my mother would say something to me that I used to believe was the absolute worst thing that any mother could ever say to her child. She would just, just this one statement, I mean, just this one statement, put me into a funk, planted the fear of God in me, caused me to lose my appetite, ruined the rest of my day, maybe just want to go to bed and just cover myself up and talk to nobody. And those words were, you just wait till your dad gets home. Now, most of you, or many of you probably can relate to that. You've heard those words before, and I used to think those really were the worst words a mother could ever say to a child. And then I began to think as I grew older, maybe mom was doing me a favor. Maybe she was really getting me ready for life. Because let me tell you what I mean. Trouble comes to everybody. There are days when you don't realize it, but the dad called trouble is coming to your home. He's going to show up unexpectedly. Now, sometimes he shows up because you deserve it. A lot of times he shows up even when you don't. I've said this so many times. I've learned that when you talk to anybody long enough, everybody's had heartache. Everybody. I promise you. You just pick a stranger out of the crowd, sit down, and just keep talking, and eventually everybody's had heartache. They lost a mom or a dad to cancer. They, they, they've been, their parents divorced. They've been divorced. Somebody in their family has battled a serious illness. Everybody has heartache. Everybody has experienced disappointment. And given enough time, life gives everybody a shot to the jaw when nobody's looking and nobody expects it. That's just the way life is. And that may explain why the verse that we're going to study today was shared by so many people so many times. If you are a guest of ours today, we started, a, I think it's a fun series about three weeks ago that we're calling Going Viral. And, and when something goes viral, I've told you this several times, it simply means that many people view it in a very short period of time. It's like a virus. That's where we get the term viral. It spreads very rapidly to a great number of people. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the top four most shared, bookmarked, Facebook, texted verses that, according to the Bible app, was, was, was shared in one given year about a year ago. So the verses that we've been looking at, this is not verses we picked out of a hat. There are over 50 million people that use the Bible app. Many of you, most of us have that app on our phone. And at the end of every year, they, they do their statistical analysis and they give a study. These were the verses that most people shared, they tweeted, they texted, they Facebooked, they bookmarked. These were the most popular verses, if you will, of all the verses in the Bible. And so we've been looking at the top four verses. We started with the very fourth, the, the fourth one, and we're working our way up. So if you missed two weeks ago, we started with the fourth one, and the fourth one was this verse. It was Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was verse number four. Last week, we looked at the third verse, the verse that came in third, and it was this verse. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Now today we're going to look at the second most shared verse that is seen and heard. By the way, not just in the Bible. This verse is actually in a lot of movies. You'll hear this verse on television. You'll hear this verse in a lot of speeches. Uh, every president, as you know, since George Washington, takes the oath of office on a Bible. What you may not know is that every president has the choice of not only uh, which Bible they want to use, but which verse they want that Bible turned to. Well, when George W. Bush stepped to the inaugural platform on January the 20th, 2005, to take the oath of office for his second term, he asked that his Bible be turned to a verse that he had personally chosen, and it just so happens that verse is the third most viral verse that was shared a year ago. It's the verse we're going to look at this morning. So if you brought a copy of a Bible, God's Word, if you brought a, a smart tablet or a smartphone or an iPad, whatever you might use, I want you to turn over to the Old Testament to a prophet called Isaiah. It's about, I don't know, maybe 60% over from Genesis, about two-thirds of the way through after Psalms and Proverbs. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Now, I'm going to read this verse to you. And again, this is one of those verses, frankly, it wouldn't have made my top four. I was really kind of surprised this one made the top four. By the way, sneak preview, I am not at all surprised that next week's verse was number one. As a matter of fact, I think it may be number one year after year after year. We'll talk about that next week. But this is the second most shared verse in the last year. And this is what we read. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, let me first of all kind of put this text in context and you'll kind of understand what's going on. And if you don't mind, just bear with me because I'm going to give you a real quick history lesson, okay? At the height of its power, Israel was the United States in its day. There was a time when the nation of Israel was the most powerful nation on earth. It was the greatest nation in the world. It was ruled by two great kings. Most of us know who they were, a father and a son, King David and King Solomon. And it was at the very zenith of its power when David and Solomon ruled the nation. Well, after Solomon died... The nation split in half for reasons I don't have time to go into. Of the 12 tribes that, that, the, of Israel, 10 type tribes split off and they formed the northern kingdom of Israel. Two tribes split off, they formed the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, what happened was over time, both kingdoms fell into spiritual decline. Both kingdoms fell away from God. They rebelled against God. They quit obeying God. They fell away from his laws. God sent prophets to both the northern and the southern kingdom to call them back to spiritual renewal, to call them back to repentance, but they refused to listen. Well, this spiritual decline happened over a period of about 350 years until finally the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C., and they were led off into exile. They were led into captivity. 136 years later, the southern kingdom, known as Judah, fell to the Babylonians. It was at that time the temple was destroyed. The city of Jerusalem was left desolate. The northern kingdom was lost forever, but a remnant from the southern kingdom was allowed to return to the promised land to reestablish the Jewish homeland. 
And that, in effect, ended the history of the Old Testament. So what you read in the Old Testament is after Moses died and Joshua leads the people into the promised land, you had a time called the Judges. Then Saul became the first king. Eventually David became king. Then Solomon became king. They reached the zenith of their power. Solomon dies. They split into north and south, Israel and Judah. Israel goes into captivity, and then Judah goes into captivity. And this introduces us to one of the greatest prophets in all of the Old Testament, a man by the name of Isaiah. Now, here's what's going on in Isaiah chapter 40. Jerusalem is under siege. They are totally and completely surrounded. And God has revealed to Jeremiah that the nation of Judah is going to fall. He's had enough. His patience is at an end. He's called them out to repentance. They refuse to listen. They refuse to obey. So God has said to Isaiah, you better get the people ready. They are going to fall. They're going to be taken into exile. The city's going to be leveled. The nation of Judah will be no more. So I want you to listen to these sad words one chapter back in Isaiah 39. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. And then listen, these are so sad words. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. So Isaiah thought there was nothing left to do except just kind of wait on the trouble that's going to come. Dad's coming home. And there's nothing that he can do about it. Nothing anyone can do about it. The future is bleak. The time is short. The dam is broken. Nothing can stop the flood of God's judgment that was about to come to this nation. And now God's people are about to face the most difficult, the most disappointing, the most discouraging, the most faith-testing season in all of their history. Because the promised land, Jerusalem, the temple, is going to be lost, going to be captured, going to be destroyed. And no one is no more depressed. No one is more discouraged. No one is more disillusioned than Isaiah. And out of this dark time, God shines a little light ray of hope. And he gives us a principle in this chapter we're going to learn. It's kind of what I want you to take out the door today. And here it is. You don't have to fear when trouble is near, for God is always here. You don't have to fear when trouble is near, for God is always here. And in this passage of Scripture, God tells Isaiah and God tells us, this is what you do when you know trouble's at the doorstep. When you know that trouble is coming, when you know the day may get dark, this is what you do when you're waiting on the phone call to find out, was the tumor benign or was the tumor malignant? This is what you, this is what you hold on to. This is the principle you hold on to. These are the lessons you learn when you don't know whether that little grandson is going to live or that grandson is going to die, whether you, your marriage is going to make it or it's not, whether you're going to get another job or you're not. This is what you do in those tough difficult times. I mean, when life becomes unbearable and the storm gets too strong, when you're out of hope, you're out of time, you feel like quitting, you want to quit, this is what you need to do. Three things we're going to learn in this passage, all right? Number one, be confident in the Lord. First thing, be confident in the Lord. Now, remember, the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish people were not at all happy about their situation. They just could not believe. They just could not. They would not let themselves be convinced that the holy city, 
the temple and God's own people would be taken over by, of all people, the pagan, unbelieving, murderous, despicable Babylonians. And, and they were asking the same thing that we all tend to ask when we're in trouble. They were asking questions like, does God even know what's happening? I mean, do, does God even hear our prayers? Does God even care? As a matter of fact, this is what they were asking. <clears throat> Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, this is God, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? In other words, they were saying things that you and I tended to say at times. God, if you love me, why are you letting me go through this? God, if you love me, why aren't you coming to my rescue? God, if you love me, why is it the Calvary on the way? God, if you love me, why aren't things getting any better in my life? Do you not see what's going on? Do you know what care is going on? As a matter of fact, we get to the point where we say, what in the world is going on with God? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I promise you, everybody in this room, beginning with this guy right here, has asked God that question at one time or another. You pray and you pray and you pray, nothing happens. You weep and you weep and you weep and nothing happens. You walk the floor, you agonize, you beg God to show himself strong. You beg God to do something and nothing happens. And listen to how God responds. Have you not known? Have you not heard? I think we just sang this. The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Now, of course, the, the people of Israel knew about God, and they had heard about God, but they had totally forgotten God. And they had totally forgotten who God is, and they had totally forgotten what God could do. And they had to be reminded of exactly who God is. He said, look, let's get something straight I am the everlasting God. I'm not limited by time. I'm not restricted by space. I am both the creator and the controller of the universe. See, here's what they thought. They thought something we and I think sometimes, and it's just not true. They thought they could put God on the clock. They thought God's got to work according to our timetable. They thought they could put God in a box. God's got to do it, and he's not only got to do it, he's got to do it our way. They, they thought they could put God to the test. He can't let this happen without being a failure as a God. The problem is you can't do any of those things to God. You can try. You can't put God on your clock. You can't put God in your box. You can't put God to your test. His understanding is unsearchable. Listen, listen. We can know God. We can love God. We can serve God. We can obey God, we can please God, we can worship God, but we will never totally understand God, not even in heaven. We will never totally, he said, his understanding is unsearchable. He said, my ways are above your ways, my thoughts are above your thoughts. And let me tell you something, you may, you may be sitting there right now, you may be saying, boy, pastor, you've hit me right where I'm living right now because I've been asking the question, what in the world is God doing? Let me just give you some good news. You may not know what God is doing, but God knows what he's doing. God's never confused. God never walks the floor going, what in the world am I going to do about this? God never, there's no panic in heaven, just 
plans. We may not understand why, but that doesn't mean there is not a reason why. And see, we will never, ever totally figure God out. And, 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 and here's the problem. Not only will we never figure God out, I'm going to help some of you out today. You may as well quit trying. There's some of you right now, you're so frustrated. There's things happening in your life, and you look back and you say, I still don't understand why God let that happen. Hey, let me just kind of save you a lot of anguish. You're not going to know it on this side of heaven. You're not going to figure it out. You're never, ever going to put God in your computer. You're never ever going to put God totally in your head. You're never, ever going to put God and wrap your mind totally around him. It is impossible. Some of you may remember the name William Jennings Bryan. He, he was one of the most famous attorneys in the 20th century. As a matter of fact, he was the Democratic nominee for president three different times. Never won, but he was the nominee for president three different one times. William Jennings Bryan was a tremendous believer. He was a great, great Christian. One time, he compared, he compared the mystery of God to a watermelon seed. And I want you to listen to what he said. This is kind of, I mean, this is kind of pretty cool. He said, I have observed the watermelon seed. It has the power of drawing from the ground and through itself 200,000 times its weight. When you can tell me how it takes this material and out of its colors, out of it colors an outside surface beyond the imitation of art, then forms inside of it a white rind and within that again a red heart thickly inlaid with black seeds, each one of which is capable of drawing through itself 200,000 times its weight, when you can explain to me the mystery of the watermelon, then you can ask me to explain the mystery of God. I got a watermelon in my refrigerator right now. Teresa bought it yesterday, and I just opened it up before I came to church, and I said, boy, God, you're just a mystery to me. <laughs> Think about that. A green watermelon with a white rind and a red heart and every seed of that watermelon can draw in 200,000 times its weight. <laughs> and we're trying to figure God out. It is impossible. And here's the point. The point is when you're facing trouble or you are in trouble, you can be confident in a God who is everlasting, who is beyond understanding and never faints or grows weary. Now, there are times we get tired, right? And there are times we want to quit. And so I think sometimes we think, well, if I get tired, I guess God gets tired. And if I want to quit, I guess God wants to quit. Well, we figure wrong because this is what, God's, this is what God does. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. So here's what God promises. In those times when you just feel like everything is hopeless, I'll be your hope. In those times when you feel absolutely helpless, I will be your help. When you're hopeless, I'll give you power. When you're helpless, I'll give you strength. And now he reiterates this in our verse. We're studying verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, the word, you know what the word for he, in the Hebrew language is for renew? It's kind of an interesting word. It doesn't mean just renew. It literally means to exchange. They will exchange their strength. Now, Everybody in this room knows what the word exchange means the day after Christmas, right? You got that. Now, some of you are experts in it, right? I, listen, I'm not going to say who it is. There are people in my family, you know why they enjoy Christmas so much in my family? 
They never keep a thing we buy them, never. The next day, they love to exchange it. Doesn't matter what you buy, they're going to get something else. I mean, they're just, that's just the way they are. That's why we give them gift cards. Ha <laughs> ha. All right, but listen. Anytime you want to, here's what Isaiah is saying. Anytime you want to, when you're at your weakness, you can look to God and he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make an exchange. I'll take your weakness. I'll give you my strength. I'll take your hopelessness and I'll give you my power. I'll take where you're weak and I will make you strong. See, here's what people don't understand about being a Christian. The Christian life is not just a change life, it's an exchange life. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you know what he does? He doesn't just patch up the old life. He gives you a new life and guess what? You don't just live for him. He puts the Holy Spirit in you so he can live his life through you. Listen, God is the greatest strength coach who has ever lived, and he will strengthen you and enable you to weather any storm, but you've got to be confident in him. Step one, be confident in the Lord. Don't ever lose confidence in the Lord. God never fails. Be confident in the Lord. Here's the second thing. Be patient with the Lord. Be patient with the Lord. Now, one of the things that really irritates Teresa about me. I mean, we've been married 39 years, right? So she knows me better than anybody on this planet. And, and here, here's, here's what one of the things that just really irritates her. I, I am by nature a fixer. Now, I don't mean physically. I can't fix anything. I don't mean that. What, what I mean is, I'm just being honest. I told you this. I, I just have a hard time listening to her when she's describing a problem. I, I, you know, I, I, here's what I'll, I, I get impatient. I'm a bottom line guy, right? And I'll just say, look, just get to the bottom line. You, want, you know why I want to get to the bottom line? I want to fix her problem. Okay, I want to tell her, okay, this is what you need to do. And, and, and I can't, I'm just being honest. There, there are times in our, in our marriage she'll just say, listen, I don't want you to fix anything. I just want you to listen. And I have to bite my lip from saying, I don't want to listen. I just want to fix it. Now, some of you men out there, some of you men can kind of help me with that. Okay, some of you, come on, be honest, all right? That's just, just you know, that's just my, my nature. Well, that was probably the attitude of the people of Judah had when God gives them this piece of advice as they face this storm that's coming up in their life. Here's what he said. But they who wait, that's such a big word, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, I know you're sitting there and you're saying, wait. What do you mean, wait? You don't get what I, let me just kind of fill you in, Pastor, on where I am right now, right, okay? The wolves are at the door. We are about to be shut down. The end is near. And you want us to wait? Well, actually, the word wait has two meanings. One is just that, to wait. And I've learned in my own life, one of the greatest things you can do when you're facing a storm when you're facing trouble, when the wolves are at the door, just get along with God, shut it out, just get along with God, and just wait. As a matter of fact, can I tell you what the wisest man who ever lived said about waiting? The wisest man who ever lived said this, blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. 
Solomon was talking about those times in your life when you just get along with God. You just sit at his feet. You just patiently wait on him to speak. You just patiently wait on him to move. You just believe at the right time he's going to do the right thing. And you're just kind of ready to serve and do whatever he asks you to do or whatever you need him to do. And see, when you're waiting on God, you all know this, but when you're waiting on God, here's what you're really saying. You're saying, look, there's nothing else I can do because I can't do anything else. I'm totally dependent upon you. If you don't come through, I'm sunk. If you don't come through, it's over. If you don't come through, this is not going to work out. Well, I'm totally hopeless. I'm totally helpless without you. But I have confidence in you, and I'm going to be patient with you because as the everlasting God, you're going to move in my life. Your purpose is going to be fulfilled. Your will is going to be done, and you're going to meet my needs. I can testify to the truth of that old saying we've heard many times, good things always come to those who, what's that word? Wait. Good things always come to those who wait. I'll give you, I'll give you a classic illustration. When I asked Teresa to um, marry me, she wasn't real excited. Matter of fact, she was completely unexcited. The reason is, it was only our second date. I didn't even know that girl 10 days before I met her. And 10 days before our second date. So we're on our second date, and I asked her to marry me. Well, two weeks went by, and on Labor Day, I, I went up to see her and spend the day with her. Now, her intention that day was to break things off. That, that was her intention. She said, I don't want to get married. I want to get my college education. I'm not interested in getting married. And so she told her mama, when, she said, when he comes up here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this thing off. We spent all day together, and she just couldn't pull the trigger. She just couldn't do it. She'd try to, she'd try to, you know, she'd try to, to she just couldn't do it. She, you, know, her, you know, all she kept saying was, you know, I want to tell this guy in a loving, nice way, hit the bricks. But she just, you know, couldn't do it. So, Every time, you know, we go up to see her mom now, I'm always reminded of this. Every time we go up to see her mom, there's a, the, her front porch is, has, has pillars on it. And, there, and I always remember the pillar on the very end of it because this is what happened. We'd spent all day together. It was at the end of the day, and I had to come back. I was, I was a student pastor in Atlanta, and so I had to come back, and I was about to leave. And so uh, uh, she said, you know, would you just look? I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm confused. I don't know what I want. Would you just give me some time just to think about it and, and just, you know, you know and, and, and just pray? And so I said to her, we're out on the front porch, and, I, I, and, and I'm, I'm leaning up against this pillar like this with my arms full, just talking. And I said, look, I said, um, I, I'm going to give you all the time you need, all the space that you need, all the time you want. I, I believe, I can't explain this, but I believe you're God's mate for me. So I, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get in my car, and I'm going to leave. And I said, I am not going to call you. I am not going to write you. I am not going to come, I'm not going to come see you. All I'm going to do to pray is pray. Now, if I'm right, God is going to show you. And if I'm wrong, God is going to show you. If I'm right, God will show you that I'm the one you're to marry. If I'm wrong, then I'll just have to trust the Lord and, and, and go on. Now, I'll never, ever, every time we go up there, I remind her, and I'll never will forget what she did. When I was talking to her, I was kind of back on, you know, leaning up against the pillar like this. She's about as far as from here from the, from the podium to me right here. And when I was talking, when I said to her, I won't be back, I won't call, I won't write, I'm not going to see you. She walked up to me, 
got nose to nose to me with a little grin on her face, and here's what she said. You'll be back. <laughs> now, the truth of the matter is, had she not said that, I probably would have been back. But the moment she said that, you know what would have frozen over four times before I was ever going to come back. <laughs> so I said, we'll see. So I left. Now, you talk about miserable. Two weeks went by. I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And I want to tell you to this day, there were the longest two weeks of my life. Because every day that went by, my hopes got dimmer. Every day that went by, my, 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 my belief this was going to happen really got weaker and weaker. And I'd finally, just about at the end of that two weeks, I'd convinced I'm never going to hear from this girl again at all. And I still remember, I was living with a couple over in Marietta. I still remember, they, she, my, I called her moms and pops. And moms came in and she said, hey, I've got a letter from you from Teresa. I'm not telling you, man. First, I had to go to the bathroom. That's the first thing I had to do. And then I'm, I am shaking like a leaf because I'm, I'm expecting a Dear John letter, right? So I opened up the letter, and it was not a Dear John. It was, please call me. I miss you terribly letter, okay? Now, this is 1976. I called her. Do you know how much that phone call cost me? A hundred bucks. That was 1976. That'd be like $2 million today, okay? <laughs> now, here, here's my point. Good things do come to those who wait. We probably would not be married today if I had not chosen just to wait and let God work things out. Be patient with the Lord. Listen, in his timing, he always comes through. Everybody, listen, be patient with the Lord. I know it's hard. I know it's tough, but I want to tell you again, you're not going to put God on your clock. God doesn't care about time. God cares about timing, and God is never early. God is never late. God's always right on time. So Isaiah said, be patient with the Lord. Now, here's the last thing. Be obedient to the Lord. Be obedient to the Lord. Now, let me tell you what, how, why, how important that is. When he says be confident in the Lord, he says just, just keep believing. Don't give up on God. When he says be patient, keep waiting. God knows what he's doing. He's not asleep. He'll be there in due time. But then he says be obedient. You say, well, where do you get that out of the text? Remember the word wait? I told you that the word wait has two meanings. The word in the Hebrew language doesn't just mean to wait like you just kind of sit around and do nothing. As a matter of fact, it doesn't mean to just passively sit around and, and do nothing. You kind of say, okay, God, I'm just going to sit here on and lay on my couch and veg out until you finally act on my behalf. No, what it means is, it means while you're waiting, you continue to serve God. You continue to worship God. You continue to obey God. You continue to walk with God. In fact, waiting on the Lord doesn't just mean waiting on the Lord to do something for us. It means in the meantime, you keep doing what you can for the Lord. Let me give it, you all know this. You ever gone into a store or like a restaurant? I was in a restaurant the other day with Teresa and, 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 and the uh, maitre d' came by, or the head person came by and said, has someone waited on you? Now, what they meant is, is somebody helping you? Is somebody serving you? Is somebody trying to meet your needs and meet your desires? You take people who work in a restaurant. 
You know, back when I was growing up, you remember what we used to call, um, you know, people that worked in a restaurant, we used to call them waiters we, or, or, or waitresses. You know, what, you know what they're called now? They're called server. They, when somebody, like the other night when we was at that restaurant, they'll always say this. They don't say, I'll be your waiter. They'll say, I will be your what? Your server. Well, that's what, that's what waiting on someone is. It means you are serving them. Now, now that, that's a good quit switch because what does a waiter do in a restaurant? Well, a waiter doesn't sit on, you know, in some kind of a hypnotic trance waiting on you to get your own food and water. Well, that has happened on some occasions. But, you know, by and large, that's not what is supposed to happen. No, that waiter serves you. He is waiting on you. His job is to get what you want and to meet your needs. Same thing is true for us. While we're waiting, it means, okay, while I'm waiting on you, Lord, I'm still taking orders. I still want to fulfill your order. While I'm waiting on you, I'm going to keep serving you. I'm going to keep taking your order. I'm going to keep obeying your commands. See, here's what happens. Too often, you know what we do? We do just the opposite. We get into a storm. We go through a tough time in our life. And here's what we do too often. We quit on God. Well, if, that, if, that's, if that's the best you can do, I'm done. I cannot tell you how many people, they, you know, I'll look up. and We've all had this happen. You'll go, I wonder what ever happened to so-and-so. I haven't seen them in a while. I've not seen him in a while. I've seen her around in a while. And finally, you get around to making contact. And I hear this so often. Well, I was going through a divorce. Well, I lost my job. Well, I, I just, you know, I, I, got, I, I had a tough break in my life. And the very time they needed church the most, they skipped out. The very time they needed to keep walking with God, they quit. Isaiah said, hey, you're going through a storm, you're going through a tough time, the last thing you better do is quit on God. You keep serving God, you keep loving God, you keep doing everything that God wants you to do. Because we do just the opposite. We question God, we forsake God, we forget God, we quit on God. And you know what that does? Can I tell you what that always does? Every time you go through a storm, I want you to remember this, it's, I'm trying to save you some heartache. Every time you go through a storm, if you forsake God and quit God, get mad at God and give up on God, it just makes the storm worse. It doesn't make anything any better. It's not going to make you sleep better at night. It's not going to give you more peace in your heart. It's not going to give you more hope. It just makes things worse. But to those who keep waiting and those who keep serving and those who keep obeying, this is what happens. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Let me just stop right there. Everything God says has a purpose. Why do you think God paints that picture? Why do you think God says to us, of all the things he could have said, he says, I'll tell you what will happen to you. If you'll keep waiting on me, if you'll be patient with me, if you'll be confident in me, if you'll be obedient to me, if you'll just keep believing in me, you will mount up on wings like eagles. All right, here's what God's telling us. God says, I'll tell you what I'll do for you. First of all, I'll help you fly above your storm. I'll help you get over your storm. See, I hear people say sometimes, well, how are you doing? Well, I, I'm doing all right under the circumstances. Let me tell you something. If you're a child of the living God, you're not under your circumstances. You're under his authority. And you're over your circumstances. You're not under anything. Nobody can put you under anything. As a matter of fact, we only want to be under his wings. That's all we need to be under. And when you're under his wings, you're over. Jesus said, look, I give you authority. Jesus said to the disciples, I give you power and authority over how many things? All things. 
You're not under your circumstances. You are over your circumstances. And he wants us to be under him and over our circumstances. So I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to fly like eagles. Now, I ask myself this question. Okay, why would he pick out the eagle? I mean, thank God he didn't pick out the turkey, right? He picked out the eagle. Well, why did he pick out eagles? Well, I did a little research. Eagles are amazing birds. An eagle, listen, this is amazing. An eagle can fly up to 10,000 feet. They have, their wings have 7,000 feathers. They can fly on average 50 miles an hour and they can go into a dive and reach a speed of 100 miles an hour. They also have very unusual eyes. Listen, this amazes me. They have a million light-sensitive cells per square millimeter of retina. That is five times more than that of a human being. So let me put this in perspective. While humans can see three basic colors, eagles can see five. They see seven times better than we can. At a thousand feet in the air, a bald eagle can spot prey over three square miles. Now, let me compare that. At 50 feet, a bald pastor can see a tithe three rows away, okay? So it's, you know, it's kind, of a, kind of a different thing. Now, listen. They not only can see forward, they can see sideways at the same time. They can even spot an animal. This is amazing to me. They can spot a rabbit two miles away. Two miles away. Now, let me tell you what's even more fascinating about the eagle. Every other bird that's known to man, this is amazing to me, every other bird that's known to man, when a bird senses a storm is coming, they try to fly away from the storm. Every other bird tries to find shelter in the storm. You know what the eagle does? He doesn't fly away from storms. You know what the eagle does? He flies into storms. You say, well, why would he do that? Because they know that those thermal updrafts can cause them to soar higher and to rise higher and to fly higher than they could ever ride before. And see, a storm is no threat to an eagle because he just rides above it. He just soars over it. In other words, here's the point. What does a storm do for an eagle? It's, it helps him to see farther and it helps him to fly higher. Now, just get that down. God says, you're in a storm, come into your house, you know it's there, yeah, it's already at the doorstep. If you'll wait on me, just be confident, be patient, be obedient. I promise you, you're going to see farther and you're going to fly higher. What was God telling Isaiah? What God was saying was, Isaiah, listen. I've already told you what's going to happen. Not a thing you can do about it. Yep, the city's going to fall. The nation's going to fall. They're going to exile. I've had enough. The judgment is going to come, Isaiah, and there's not one thing you can do about it. But Isaiah, let me tell you what I can do. I want to take you up where I am. I want you to have my perspective. I want you to see the storms and your troubles from my point of view. And what is my point of view, Isaiah? I'm over every storm. I'm in control of all the thunder. I hold every lightning bolt in my hand. There is nothing that's ever going to happen to you that I will not see you through it if you'll be patient and be confident and be obedient. Because as long, listen to this, 
as long as you're flying with God, you don't have to fear any storm. You believe that? As long as you're flying with God, you don't have to fear any storm. And God also says to those who wait, look at this. He says in verse 31, they shall run and not be weary. See, here's the point. God is also in the storm. He's not just over the storm. He is in the storms because there are times when a crisis comes into our life and it forces us to run, right? I mean, there are times you got to meet those deadlines and you got to make that meeting. You got you to get that project done and you got to do it very quickly. And there are times in our life, I know I, as a pastor, I can tell you, you just can't afford to slow down. You've got to run. Well, here's what God promises us. God will give you the strength to do everything, all that he calls you to do. God will give you every day the strength to do all that he calls you to do. See, it's one thing to fly. It's another thing to run. But then, just facing everyday life, you got to walk. So here's what God says. He says, they shall walk. They'll not faint. And you know, if you think about it, if you take just an average day in your life, it's not about running. It's just about walking. Can, can you relate to this? Are there times in your life, are there days in your life, it's all you can do to just put one foot in front of the other? Can you, how many of you can relate to that? Can you, there are days like that I just, listen, I don't feel like a pastor every day. I, can I just be honest? I just don't feel like a pastor every day. I mean, there, there are days, I hope you're like me, there are days I feel so close to Jesus, I just feel like we're just like that. There are days I feel Jesus is a million miles away. I'm just being honest. I, I hope you can relate to that. And boy, there are days that, man, I'm running. I mean, I'm just so pumped about the ministry. But then there are days, man, it's just, man, James, just keep going. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And here's what God says. God says, look, if you'll walk in your own strength, you're going to wear out. You're going to faint. But if you'll walk with me, you will not faint. You will make it to the end of the day. You be obedient to me. You will fly higher than the storm. You'll run faster in the storm. And you'll walk longer through the storm. And so I want to wrap all this up by saying this. What we're tempted to do, let's just be honest. We're tempted to do what most every other bird does. We see a storm coming. We want to fly away from it. Or we see a storm coming, we want to run away from it. Or we see a storm coming, we just kind of hope we can just kind of sneak out and just walk away from it. And we're all like this. We get into these difficult, tough times, and this is what we all pray. Me too, I'm guilty. Here's the first thing we pray. God, get me out of this. Oh, God, get me out of this. Or... If he doesn't do it like that, we start saying, when are you going to get me out of this? But when you read this verse of Scripture, when you read this text, here's what we ought to be saying. What should I get out of this? Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to do in my heart? What are you trying to do in my life? You want to use this somehow to make me a better dad, a better husband, a better mother, a better sister, a better brother, a better daughter, a better employee, a better churchman, a better Christian. Lord, what do I need to get out of this? Because I want you to wrap, I want to wrap this up. Listen to this. Those same Jewish people that Isaiah was talking to, 
had to wait. Are you ready for this? Not 100 years, not 200 years, not 300 years, not 400 years, not 500 years, not 600 years, not 700 years. They had to wait 800 years before a little baby was born in Bethlehem. Eight centuries. Think about that. One century goes by, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nothing. And all of a sudden, a baby begins to cry in a little manger in a little town in Bethlehem. And who can deny the good that came out of that? And Jesus Christ himself tells us that through his birth and through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, here's what he says. You be confident in me. You be patient with me. You be obedient to me. And you will learn good things do come to those who wait. You'll learn. You won't be under your circumstances. You'll be over them. You, mount, you will mount up with wings like eagles. You'll see things through my perspective. You'll understand that I'm in control of the storm. You will fly and you'll not fail. You will run and you'll not, you'll not faint. And you'll walk and you'll not grow weary because he is the everlasting God. Let's pray together.